Welcome to another figure week, park surface week, organic week. Hey everyone, my name is Ahmed Aldouri. I'm a concept artist and former instructor at Art Center College of Design, Brainstorm, CCS, CGMA, and various other places. And I would like to introduce to you this digital painting course that I've created. But before we get into anything, I just wanna thank you for the support you've all given me this whole time. And with the support of so many of you, I've been able to put together everything I know about painting into this digital painting course. You want to become a pro, illustrator, concept artist, or even just a hobbyist, but you don't have a clear map to get there. And that's where I come in. I spent the last six months compiling everything I know from my 20 years of art practice, and I've turned it all into a map. Starting with foundations such as rendering shapes, color theory, painting basic subjects, understanding brushwork, brush economy, all that fun stuff, deconstructing the skull, drawing it from every angle, Angle, all the way to master studies, stylized painting, and you'll find yourself at the end of the course doing a concept art project based on everything that we learn in the first 14 lessons. So how does it work? Well, you sign up, you watch the lectures, do the assignments, post them to the community page if you want, and treat it as a self-study, except for those of you who have signed up for the weekly meeting where I personally critique your work in a virtual classroom setting. I believe learning by repetition is super important. That's what I've sort of presented a lot in this course, and the assignments are tailored for that, as adapted from my time teaching at Art Center. And each of these lessons have step-by-step -step explanations in real time. If you've ever seen my videos, you know exactly how I teach. And this course is intended to be a substitute for a college level course, but you don't have to pay the four or $5,000 per class, racking up maybe 200K in debt. With my custom design course, you'd be paying a fraction of that. And of course, I also have payment plan options if you don't want to pay for the whole thing at once. Thank you for watching this and I'll see you soon. Hey guys, welcome back to Digital Artcast. Uh, thanks again for stopping for another episode. Uh, as always, uh, with these episodes, I, I want to start just by saying, whatever you are in the world, I hope that you're doing well and uh, you're staying safe with projects and staying inside. And if you can't, just be as safe as you can. You know that the world is shit the bed at the moment and it's a, it's a bit of a nightmare, but uh, hopefully uh, these episodes are keeping you uh, calm and a bit safe and a bit uh, happy 
that uh you know there's someone else in the world going through what you're going through but yeah so uh so episode wise you know throughout the the art cast tradition the last five years we've had on many types of you know different types of people where we've had developers on we've had artists uh 3d artists 2d artists tech artists you know audio directors you know loads of different kind of uh persuasions and disciplines and uh, today we're kind of breaking the mold um <laughs> and, and, I, and i don't want to say it's it's uh it's a, a complete departure from what we usually do because it is still within the realm of the game industry but uh today we're interviewing uh someone i don't think i ever thought would come on and, and chat to us and and take time to to explain his journey as well uh mr danny o'dwyer what's happening danny uh, what's happening, mate? I, I'm glad we finally got it to happen because yeah. uh, forever I feel like I was like a tennis ball, tennis player, just knocking it back, being like, oh, <laughs> "We're too busy, we're too busy." And the the, the reality is, I'm always too busy. Like this morning, yeah. I was on the phone to a lawyer for an hour. I've been editing, I've been filming. It's not even half twelve here in our in uh, California, and uh, I'm already fucking shattered. So I'm delighted to yes. finally sit down and chew the fat with you, mate. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's 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 interesting. I think when patrons reach out because you're always in that uh, headspace of, is this like a legit person or is this a psycho? Am I going to die? Like, I'm giving my details away to people. Like, what's going to happen? But uh, yeah, I've I've been a fan of yours for a long time now, and uh, yeah, I think you were one of the first people whose documentaries I was really paying attention to because, quick kind of history about me. Like, I was an engineer till I was 29, and and through watching mm. game video documentaries, I ended up leaving my my safe and secure, well paid job to go back to university to study art and uh, Fair play. eight years later here I'm working in the industry uh, so yeah. yeah it's 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 a it's a journey that's been fueled by documentaries I think even one of the first ones that I watched was the two-player production stuff that uh, Double yeah. Finder so like yeah that was because I was a backer on that originally on Broken Age and me yeah, too yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's, it's yeah, super I'm, series it's probably the still the best like embedded like we've we tried our hand with Hades but you know they get they're there they're there day in day out and they have such a it's such yeah. an insightful series. So yeah, yeah, I was right there with you. I was a Kickstarter one on that too. Yeah, I mean, like, well, Paul's. I mean, Paul's working with him now. He's a developer on. I think he was exclusively working on Psychonauts too, right? He, he's in the weeds. I mean, I remember watching when they done the Amnesia Fortnite documentaries, and he was pitching ideas, mm. and I was, I was like, guy's got some skills, like you know, how to build games. So <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, so I mean, and and yeah, back with you guys on Patreon for a while, and. Um, tried to as much as I could afford Thank at the time because so I've uh, <laughs> yeah I've only recently within the last three months got my first full time gig uh, after freelancing oh, for a while so yeah it's it's been a, a bit a bit sweet but yeah I've actually got money now so I've been like oh, I can pay for the good tears and get my name on the credits again so <laughs> <laughs> well it's like uh, yeah we we always feel like it's so hard to to do any type of work where you're asking people especially when you're when it's a creative field and you know every one of us has been a starving artist at one stage so it's like it's always hard to ask people to chip into something like this when it's like you know everyone nobody i feel like very few people in creative fields start with a bunch of money in their back pocket like yeah, yeah, you almost yeah. it comes with the territory right you're sort of building back up it's not like going to business school or even like it depends i guess if you're in computer science you can kind of maybe get in there a little bit better but like if you're in journalism or any sort of like artistic field you're always there's a time there where you're eating noodles so it can be two years it can be 10 years it could be your whole life so it's yeah uh, we really appreciate it uh when yeah. when when folks you know chip in. in so thank yeah. you so much yeah yeah no worries yeah actually I, I was trying to find my my no clip summer jam vip lanyard that i had lying about oh, it arrived yeah <laughs> I, I recently moved house so i was like oh shit it's not here so I was, I was back at my parents but uh 
Yeah, it was also hand, a hand hand mailed all those. All yeah. God, I can't remember how many. It was a couple of hundred anyway. Um, wow. But yeah, people at my local post office thought I was a fucking maniac. You know? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I got around. The furthest one I think was one went to Morocco, which is oh, wow. fields okay. far in my brain. I think there's one are. in Tanzania. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, I think it's 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 a weird thing when um, you're trying to build this thing of a freelance life and, and sustainability because coming from an engineer background, like you know, the paycheck would come in every every month and you wouldn't have to worry about where your money was coming from. But as soon as I started to do freelance, it's like, yeah, you're chasing gigs, you're chasing contacts, checking yeah. emails every day. Um, and now I'm kind of lucky where the freelance life is, is kind of ended at the moment because I have a full-time gig and uh, fabricated a really great company and, and it's an amazing project. Uh, we're working with some, you know, Disney and ILM devs. But um, but yeah, like, it, it's, a, it, it's a scary world out there. But then you've been kind of building to this, I, I would say, your whole life. But when I looked kind of back into your, your background of Waterford College and, you know, where you studied in Ireland... You didn't traditionally go to school for journalism, right? You studied, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. So what is? I, I was a web yeah. developer. Yeah, I was, I was a yeah. graphic designer and a web developer. Like I was, I started my. I was terrified my entire life of working in a field that I didn't enjoy, or like never finding the job that I wanted to do. It seemed like there was probably everyone probably had something they wanted to do maybe a couple of things and if you could figure out what it was then you were doing well and you know i feel like scotland and ireland are probably fairly similar in that like there's not that much going on a lot of the time so does you're not you're not like constantly coming into contact with lots of interesting types of work like some of it's interesting and i got involved in like local radio and theater and stuff and i worked in you know local shops and you know did office jobs and worked in a call center and tried to do as much as i could but i was terrified that i wouldn't find out what it was but when i was a teenager i really got an affinity for my brother went did computer science in dublin and came back with an html book and i learned it when i was 13 14 i started making websites on the family computer we didn't actually get the internet for like a year so i was just building all these half-life fan sites and (laughs) i'm I'm in my like local machine and then i went on the internet and I was like, oh my God, these websites look way better than what I was putting together. <laughs> but that's what I did in college because I'd been yeah. doing it by that stage for years. And I'd, you know, that's where I got my entrepreneurial, probably the bug then was I started undercutting local websites. So I just built people a website in a week for like 500 euro, which was, you know, loads for a 16 year old. Yeah, I just yeah. kept doing it and, and earned a bit of money that way. So when I went to college, it was multimedia and yeah. It was wasn't the most exciting time in my life going to college at home, but it allowed me to keep working in the media, keep making websites. I did a lot more stuff in theater. I got mm-hmm. to live with my parents for uh, four more years, which mm-hmm. certainly now, considering I then spent a decade abroad, I'm very yeah. grateful for. Yeah. Um, but like anything, it's like any creative field. It takes a long time to figure out what you want to do and if you're good at it. So it was just, yeah. it was just you know, I was at the I was at the grindstone. Yeah, and I think for both of us, because we're about the same age, I'm, I'm 1985, you're 86, but, um, which is crazy to think I'm older than you. <laughs> it blows my mind, Danny, but yes. Yeah, Mate, I was watching The Matrix fucking last night. <laughs> Keanu Reeves is 35 when that movie came out. So he was like, carry on muscles, 32. I'm like, I'm, yeah. older, than, I'm older than fucking Neo. Nah. Jesus. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy times. But uh, yeah, yeah, but the whole games thing, like, yeah, uh, I think you said something in one of the john romero documentaries where he said you know escapism is worth its weight in gold especially for mm. scotland and ireland because you're on such a yes. tiny island yeah you know i mean so games definitely got me through a lot of that and uh, I, I definitely feel like 
we've almost walked a similar path because even when I was, before I was thinking about leaving my job, I was doing a lot of games media. So I was working for mm. some uh, like independent websites, going to events. Uh, like one of my first things I did in 2009 was I went to interview some guys about uh, iPad, if you can mean that back in the day, when that first came out yeah. with the, the PlayStation camera. And uh, I spoke to one of the producers. It wasn't the, the A team, it was the B team, but one of the, the producers on uh, Arkham Asylum when that was first coming out. Um, and that was like my first proper gig and something also, I think it was Wii Tennis, but yeah, it was like, there was things that I'd done back in the day where I thought I was going to go the games media route. And then, uh, I think through the art books that came out with the, the, the documentaries, you know, you get, especially the Skyrim limited edition, you get the big art book. Um, yeah. <coughs> thought to myself, art's the direction I want to go. And I had already an interest in drawing and painting. So, um, but then for you, like was games still at the back of your head all the way through college? Were you still trying to weld that into your career? I don't know when the flip happened where I thought, oh, maybe this is feasible, but like probably similar to what you're saying, right? Games did feel like a really important escapist thing. And I don't know if like, because there, there is a hub in Scotland, right? Around yeah. Abertay and Dundee and all yeah. the DMA and Rockstar stuff. So there, yeah. so at least there's that. And, it, and not that I was necessarily thinking about going into development, but mm. outside of that, there was none. There's no, there's, you know, you've got... Some of the, you know, the Consylvania crew are from Scotland as well. Yeah, so, like, yeah, you've got yeah. some of the best games reporting ever done oh, yeah. <laughs> up there as well. Yeah. Um, video guiding. But, like, uh, it's not, <laughs> you know, it's not low. There's not loads of it, right? So, it yeah, still yeah. seems far away. And yeah. in Ireland, it felt far away. So, I think yeah, the yeah. thing that, like, made me think that it was possible was when I first went onto the internet, I basically typed video games into Google and I found GameSpot and IGN. And I thought IGN looked fucking, the, I hated the design of the website and I really <laughs> liked the design of GameSpot. So I was like, oh, I'll stick on GameSpot and I made an account. And mm. and then suddenly, slowly over the years, I'd use it to like, I'd try to do some reviews or, mm. or I was uploading video to it, which like not many people were, just like silly little videos. And they're right. all lost to time now, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and... And then I had a blog on there, and then they had this, an emblem system, which meant that you could, if you if you wrote a blog, and t only certain users got it who were like not fucking around basically. But if mm. you if you tag if you tagged it as an editorial piece, it would go on the front page, like on the sidebar. It'd be like community right. corner, and then but you're on the front page of like a, a website that was getting like I don't like forty million impressions a day. It was insane. It was like it was insane. It was like yeah. it was videogames.com, you know. Mm. So. So from there, I started getting a little bit of, like, I felt like I was somewhat connected to a world, but then mm. I was like, I'd have to move to America. How do you, you can't move to America. It's impossible. Right. And then after a while, I, I realized that like, oh, there was a couple of English guys who worked in the San Francisco office who had worked for the London office. And I thought, oh, maybe that's how you do it. I can move to England. My sister lived in England for years. Um, my aunt's in England. I've, I know England. I like it. I, I right. never lived in London. I have friends there, but like maybe I could do it. Mm -hmm. And so I was always like, I was doing my college stuff. I was doing my radio stuff. I was mm -hmm. doing this game stuff. I was trying to figure it all out. Mm -hmm. And then it was when I went, I went to live in, when I finished college, I applied for a job at GameSpot UK mm -hmm. and they flew me over for the interview and I didn't get it. And I thought, oh, maybe they didn't hire me because I live in Ireland, because right. I'm so green and I'm the, a country bumpkin. Yeah. I have no idea. There's probably a million other reasons why they didn't take me on. But I thought, oh, I need to be there. I need to yeah. be in London and show that I'm serious. So I moved to London and worked as a web developer for two years until barely right when I was moving out. I was moving to the Middle East um, right. about three weeks before I left. Uh, 
I got an email from GameSpot UK. So, right. yeah. Wow. And then, so that was your hub before you went to California, right? So that was there was a gap, obviously, between hitting London and hitting America. Like, was yeah. A whole was that like a, a long span? Was that years or months or? Yeah, two two and a half years I spent at GameSpot UK, mm-hmm. and I lived there for about two and a half years before. So I spent about five years in London, and half of that was was at GameSpot UK. And I'm pretty quick. Like about a year after I started in the UK, I had kind of convinced the management in the US to bring me over, and then it just takes a long while. You have to go through a lot of visa stuff, and yeah. there was a management change at one stage, but it kept going and right. Um, but eventually it did uh it did happen. It did um, happen, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it was like fucking I'll never forget the feeling of like being in the hotel. Like when I when I arrived in San Francisco in the airport, yeah. first of all yeah. my fucking credit cards didn't work, so it took me like an hour to figure out how to actually get money to a cab driver. Oh, and God. I was carrying everything I had on my back and I was hung over because we'd had my <laughs> going away party the night before the flight and we stayed out until three in the morning because we found a pub that was closing down, it was giving away free booze. So the whole and I, and I packed the wrong things because I packed the the drunk. So it was yeah. just like I was battered. And I got into my apartment and I was like how the fuck did this happen? Because it was just yeah, yeah. like, it was basically like a decade of my life kind of trying a little bit and then really trying. Like mm. this was the one, this was my reason to be for years and years and years. And then mm. to actually pull it off felt like ridiculous. And it's probably the thing that like keeps me working hard these mm. days is that like, it is ridiculous that this happened mm. and I'm not never going to take any day of this for granted because it's, there's a there's a world in which I was still working in, at an AOL call center in in my hometown, you know, and you know that's it's honest work. Yeah. But it's but it's I wasn't I wasn't able for it, so you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm very grateful. Yeah, but I bet mind them, and I think with those those Joe jobs that you have early on, and it's it's always this thing you have in the back of your mind. There's something else you should be doing, but you don't know what. And uh, I mean, even like the fact that the company I work for now are based in San Francisco, right? So like you know, right. eventually at one point once COVID kind of settles the plan is to go out there um and coming from scotland you know the small town that i'm in it it seems crazy to think that that could be a possibility that something like that could happen you know especially when i left my job a lot of people said stuff like you know "Ah, you know you'll never get through uni you'll never get a job working in games and you know i've managed to work in in these big titles and freelance and then now full-time and it's it's the imposter syndrome right you're constantly thinking to yourself why am i here why did they pick me? Like they're going to find out any minute. Like I'm not up to the job, or they're going to sack me. So, but then walking from the London office to the 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 LA office, that was obviously a huge jump, right? Because now you're mixing with people that you've only read about, or people that you've seen online in videos, and now you're standing in front of them. Yeah, I, mean, I know. Very strange. My first exposure to you was not even no clip. It was the the Blizzard documentary you done on Project Titan, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that far in your career over in, in in California? Was that a couple of years after you had kind of landed, or was that quite soon after you had hit the office? Or because it was twenty sixteen, right? Soon, yeah. Because the funny thing is, is that like in the grand scheme of things, I didn't spend that long in the summer. I basically spent two and a half years in London. Mm-hmm. At the sorry, five years in London, two and a half years mm-hmm. at GameSpot. Okay, and then about mm-hmm. two and a half years at GameSpot in america god was it even two and a half yeah around then because i was yeah because we founded get no clip in 2016 yeah so october so yeah so i think i started in the GameSpot office in like 20 it might have been 
2014. Right. 2013. Forget. But anyway, yeah, that Titan mm. stuff was probably about a, at least a year into my time there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was it was basically trying to solve the problem of like we have access to all these developers and we ask them the stupidest questions. Like we mm. we have access to these developers and we interview them at the absolute worst time, which yes. is like months before the game comes out where they have PR people breathing down their neck and they don't really still know what the final game is going to be. So they're scared about what to say. And then all the questions we're asking are about the game. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like it's just just like (laughs) the worst way to do this. But we have the access because we're GameSpot. If we call these people up, if I call them up, Joe Schmo, they're like, hey, I want to talk to you about something. They're like, no. But if you call up at GameSpot, every fucking door flies open. So I was like, oh, let's just like do that. But then... Mm use it for an actual interview that people would like to do you know right. and so one of them was titan mm-hmm. uh, another one was titan fall um right you know and then and then basically in my head i was thinking actually the way to do this is to talk about games that they right. did two years two years ago because that's what yeah. they'll because whenever we go to these places they'd happily talk about that shit yeah, but yeah. like of course uh, your beat on a games website as you should as you know is yeah. is reporting on what's current Cut him. so yeah, but yeah. those were basically you could that there's a very direct connection to those. They were called next big game projects at Gamespot, um, right? And what no clip ended up being, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, even with Titan, I mean, there's definitely, you know, they were open about the kind of failures they had going into that project, but there was also just so much they would they'll never talk about, right? There's stuff that just they would never really share what the game was like or what its first incarnation was or screenshots say or you just you would unless you're on that team, you'd never know. Um, you know, I had a couple of buddies who were there at, at, at kind of Ground Zero and worked on it, and and what eventually would be Overwatch. But yeah, it's just it's even even in private, it's just some something that we'll just they'll just never discuss because it's it seems like an almost black void in Blizzard's history that they don't want to you know expose too much to light because it's it, it seems like I think because they had so many successes for so many years, hitting a wall like that was almost like oh shit because they hadn't at that point they talk about the documentary they hadn't really made a game for so long a new ip right so, yeah yeah, yeah. And, and the other thing is that like game prototypes come and go all the time and you never mm. hear about them and the problem yeah. with this one is that it got leaked a little mm. bit and then what happens is there's a disconnect and this is kind of the reason we do no clip stuff is there's a mm. disconnect between like the realities of game development and then what players expect so when they hear that a game was in development that got cancelled they think mm. that it was way further along than what it was and like right. game development isn't even it's not even incremental, really. It's like mm. several different types of things that are vibrating at different levels, and then eventually they settle down mm-hmm. close to release. And some parts are vibrating quite a lot before they get in. And so when you tell someone like that was this game that they made, and it was this MMO, but it was mm. also this thing battle, and you had mm. a version of yourself in the mm. open world, and this one, they they that could that could be a fucking paragraph on a piece of paper. You know right. what I mean? Like it's yeah. like to to what? The, but in their head, they're imagining it's it's this full thing. So that the problem is with a lot of this is that like basically companies have learned to be watertight because you give them a if you talk a little bit like Starcraft Ghost or any of mm-hmm. these ones, mm-hmm. they turn in they turn into stories that are bigger than themselves. They're oh, myths. Yeah, yeah. They turn into yeah. something way more powerful. So mm-hmm. what I've enjoyed doing is the few times we've been able to actually pop that bubble a bit and be like, oh, this is actually what the Doom. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cancel doom game was or mm-hmm. this is how, how far along half-life raven home was or yeah. lmno or like the few times you're able to do it and i try we we the one like the blizzard thing i if we were doing that on no clip i would demand to get further than yeah the, the details with that but because it was it was early i was kind of like 
we'll take what we can get. And, and yeah. I mean, it was the first time they ever talked about Titan in a way. So it was, it was at least it was cool to to hear a smidge from people like Metzen on it. Um, mm. But yeah, it's it's just about educating. Well, I don't want to say it's about educating the audience because that sounds like it's it's looking down at people. But it's about mm. it's about um, showing off more of the process of games and then. Mm creating a vocabulary where like everyone knows a little bit more and in the five years we've done no clip you can already see that shift yeah, yeah, yeah. like and, I, and that's not just us that's that's everywhere video essays other documentaries like it's we're getting as game players we're understanding more about the process even if we'll mm. never really know exactly how to make games yeah and i think i mean for me especially when it comes to no clip i think what i love about what you're doing at the moment is that it almost you're you're almost making it a mission to bring the human side to game development like what these people go through on a daily basis, how it affects their lives, how it affects their lives post-release, pre-release, you know, with media. I mean, I'd, just to talk about one in particular, the Ashton Near documentary, right? Oh, yeah. Was near and dear to my heart. And, and I mean, I'm no, you know, I could admit I welled up watching that and just, you know, and there's people I know who still talk about Paul, right? Who mm. met him, who worked right. with him in projects, who worked with him at Halo. Um, I mean, uh, one of my mentors at the moment uh, in 3D, uh, he's at 343 at the moment, and, uh, right. and knows, and they still speak about Paul and his work, and, and I think just seeing that whole thing unfold, because, I mean, I didn't know the personal story, obviously, of what happened, and watching it, you know, line by line, you know, especially that bit in documentary where it's just like, and then Paul died, and I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, and, and you know, it, it's got to be difficult, right? To, to to do these kind of things is obviously opening yourself up to, to ridicule when, you, when you're interviewing people and you try to expose their history and what they're doing. But then when you're getting that personal on that level, that's got to be something where you're sitting there interviewing where you're almost like, you know, like you're, you're kind of frozen, like, oh, what did I do? Did I say something else? How did I, how did I, how did I approach the next question? Did I stop the way he stopped crying? Did I keep asking him? Or, um, yeah. yeah, but did, did, did you know going into that initially or did you let them know that that was something you were going to try and talk at length about? Um, yeah yeah because of the nature of of all that it was one of the few times where i had to sit down with basically one of the folks there the guy kind of running a lot of the comms and was like all right how do we how do we talk about this right um and the reason why is that honestly with every interview we do even if it's just like a an indie talking about a game that came out that like will be one of our lower watch things or whatever like right we are still basically telling their story for them. We're taking their story from them in a way. Mm-hmm. And then we're doing, we're showing it to the world and we're mm-hmm. crafting it. And there, there's already a responsibility that exists there. And I'm, there's responsibility in lots of ways. Responsibility to, the, you know, whatever, the, the truth, quote right. unquote, yeah. to the audience, to the person who we're also, whose story we're telling. To mm-hmm. basically get as close to their truth as possible. Yeah. And then if there's a difference between what their truth is and what the audience's truth is, try and bridge that gap. But mm-hmm. the problem with that one was Paul wasn't in the room to tell his version of the story. Of course. Yeah. So so it's a whole other like uh, part of it where you need to also contextualize that. And then mm-hmm. I need to know, I need to, and they need to know why I want, what you know, sort of how I'm telling mm-hmm. the story a little bit beforehand, mm-hmm. which is never something that comes up. But yeah. because of the nature and the sensitivity of it, we definitely had a back and forth on it and yeah like i uh, you know I, I feel like we've all lost people I, there was a time in my life um when i was a teenager where i lost a, a handful of people who were uh, close to me and some a little bit mm-hmm. not as close to me but like people mm-hmm. I, I knew who were my age yeah 
who who uh who passed away and mm. so this one was kind of like i i relatively comfortable with the way they feel yeah about this maybe yeah. like I, I, it doesn't it doesn't feel alien to me maybe the way i reacted to the stuff in my own life was different to them but yeah i i'm i have no problem talking to this about this stuff with yeah. them um yeah. but when adam was crying i mean, i was in i was in tears too we we don't there could have been a much more manipulative edit of that doc where yeah, yeah. there's more of that. Um, mm. But we tried to, um, you know, not lean into that drama. In a, but expose that he was upset. Switch. This was a big thing in his life. He had lost a friend. Yeah. So obviously he's sad. He's going to cry. You know, because, um, I mean, like, everybody deals with grief differently, right? Some people obviously ball into tears, but some people shut down and just... Just didn't open up. Yeah, but, uh, he was. Oh, there were people on yeah. the team who didn't want to. We were told, "Don't bring it up." Of course, so yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I didn't think bring it up. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like we've just. I've just done about three or four interviews this week because I try, you know, stack them so that come out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, Amen. <laughs> yeah, 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 but uh, but the thing because obviously I'm trying to balance this in a full time job now, so it's it's even right. harder. But but uh, yeah, but um, a thing that's came up very recently because of the film strikes, right? Is conditions in games and mental health and the human cost the building video games and probably why so many people i know have went freelance or started their own studios or banded together with other right. artists to make stuff you know like decagon uh one of the guys I interviewed clinton uh who worked at coalition for so long and worked in gears then left the studio and set himself up as a studio and just brought all these friends together and now they make art for the games and you know, he talks about like how the importance of his team's mental health and well-being is a top priority right. over the projects they work on. Um, if they take something on that's too big, or they feel like like it's just going to be too much for this team, or it's going to just tax everybody, then he just will walk away from it, regardless of what it is. So, you yeah. know, I, th I think that's why I think myself and and other people I know in the industry who, you know, when I first watched the Doom documentary, it was because one of my friends Ed sent it to me, and he was like, "Dude, this guy just done a documentary on us, and you know, I interviewed all of the higher ups, like." You know, you really got to watch it. I think it's great, and I think you'd love it. And I was like, cool. And you know, checked. It. I was like, oh, it's Danny. Like, yeah, I've watched this stuff before. And and uh, the guys that had that I know still talk about that documentary and how they're, yeah, they're they're wanting you to come back at one point and just do another one because like yeah, you know, us too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, Eternal's been out I, for I, a bit now, and yeah. And what we'd probably do, and it's funny you mention it, because like the thing that that makes my toes curl a little bit is like back then as well, we were it was the start of our process, and we were just interviewing the higher ups, and like right. we we, there, we there's so many things we do in our pre production now to make sure that we we get as much of a like broad number of it's like it's like painting in a canvas, like if you're if you're just using the same like color over and yeah, over, yeah, yeah. our brush actually brush is a better way of putting it actually. Mm, um, yeah. Then you're you're going to get one thing, but if you if you go for different and like and I mean diversity across the board. Like we had one mm. where I remember we did one video where we 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 asked for a list of interviewees and they came back mm. with fifteen white guys. And I was like, <laughs> dudes, like no. save yourselves for fuck's sake! Like yeah, like come yeah. on! Like and I, and it was a huge studio and I and I knew women on the team. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like like personally and yep. you know and I knew there was more racial diversity there as well. But but what we've done is. It's it's kind of not it's not only that you know what I mean mm -hmm. it's 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 also 
diversity in terms of like experience on the team department like trying to get somebody from the audio department trying to get somebody like maybe engineers or people in ai who don't get to speak very often yeah people who've been in the studio for like six months because they can talk about what it's like now as opposed to somebody who's been working here for eight years and has a great 401k already you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. anyone so it's all (laughs) it's all that because it and it's totally it is the one if i talk about like one i want to go back and really get into the the weeds on it mm. it would be like to do something on you know anything they're up to like doom eternal or whatever and yeah talk to talk to hugo and marty but like talk to hugo is hugo's a legend man that guy oh my god i could i could listen to him talk for days he's just yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, he used to be a yeah. comedian he used to be he used to stand up like yeah, yeah, yeah which was perfect. which is crazy as well but uh but yeah like it's it's a thing even where i've tried to actively you know interview like my last interview and almost the next two or three are female developers which I've mm. tried to like diversify. And then even last year, during all that shit as well, we had a Black Lives Matter panel, right? So I interviewed right. specifically black artists in America during the time talking about their experiences working in the industry. Because we had like, you know, Philip Booty, who was like the lead costume designer on Black Panther and a couple of Marvel projects. And, you know, Correct. some guy, some guys from smaller studios, big studios. So we were trying to get a broad spectrum. And I even stepped aside and let my, my friend who is African-American host the interview because i was like it isn't my place i think to speak on that like i'm just going to give you guys the platform and away you go and it's always the thing i found whether it's either black or african-american uh artists or it's female like i try to publicize that stuff and people just like bite my head off and it's it's a nightmare because you know a lot of guys that i put the, the episodes up for just want to hear from the straight white males and it's it's, it's yeah it's it- and it's it so it depends as well on what like on what you're telling right because if you're talking about someone's experience with their blackness then for right. sure like having someone who's on the other side of that who mm-hmm. can who can really probably get into the nitty gritty on it in the same yeah. way that if you were entering video game developers you wouldn't yeah. want a music journalist doing it you know what i mean like yeah, yeah outside of the sort of ethics of it there is actually a like pragmatism to the to the point right yeah um but then it also like for us for instance one of the things that that has been really important in the work that we do in relation to keeping up that diversity is also mm-hmm. not making the diversity the focus of the interview of because like for years and years and years it was like you know women in games panel at pax or right. you know diversity in games panel and right. that's when you stick all your token people on the, the panel and yeah. say i've done my job and then walk yeah. away right so like <laughs> and, and, it, and it accounts in, in all, the, all the other ways too right where you have to like you know we we mm. don't Unless they bring it up or the project or the story or the game in some way. Like if you're interviewing uh, an African-American costume designer who worked on Black Panther, like, sure, obviously, that's the place for that. If you're working, if you're talking to like a female exec at a company or Mm. somebody who's lower down in the company, like, what do they want to talk about? If it's the Mm. exec, then it's probably her job it's probably right. like the the career progression that's happened it's yeah it's the ways in which your job impact the product if it's yeah. somebody lower down it's mm-hmm. probably their experience in college how they worked what it's like being on a team you know what i mean yeah. and if they bring that aspect of them into the conversation to at least be mm-hmm. aware of it but yeah but not not to just tokenize people in that way because you can end yeah. up and i think a lot of people did that at the, once like a lot of us started like realizing our responsibility as reporters or podcasters or whatever yeah, yeah. i think you do end up like overcorrecting into this way that is just kind of gross in a positive way as yeah, opposed yeah, yeah. to gross you know what i mean so yeah, yeah so finding that balance has definitely also been you know everything's a learning 
curve and you know it's no there's no i i don't find i don't feel any badness in not knowing in the past and knowing now you know it's part of oh both. yeah hindsight's a great yeah, thing but <clears throat> you can never call it out i mean it's even when we done the panel i mean i, I just i think because it's just what was going on in the country at the time i felt like powerless and i thought well there must be something i can do and that was the thing i could do i could offer my platform to somebody you know different somebody who you know because even then when i look back at the history of people i'd interviewed it was just typically right white dudes right and but then they're the people I've found that are <clears throat> the people who want to talk the most about themselves. Yes, that's and and also the ones that want to talk to you. So yes. that's the other problem is that we had the same issue. We we after a year, kind of you know, there's like these moments where you sort of you look back on everything and you you try and get a bit distance. You can sort of like put that in a box of past yeah. and analyze it. And we did it again just recently. Mm-hmm. And you can analyze it in loads of different ways: the cost of production, the quality, the length of videos, the thumbnails, or whatever it is. And one of the yeah. things that came up in our first ones is that we had shocking diversity in in the first y- year of our docs, and that's mm-hmm. why it came up. And one of the, I reached out to be basically people and was like, "What what do I need? What what do I not know? I don't know about this." And one of the things yeah. that came up was, "Oh, of course, if you're in a, if you if you're if I'm first of all mm-hmm. uh, a white guy mm-hmm. already, I'm mm-hmm. going to hear." Of, for more people like me but also just in general mm-hmm. it is harder to get people who are marginalized mm-hmm. just they from the process of being citizens in which yeah. they're marginalized they're just not that outgoing right or yeah. like some are where mm-hmm. you know and the advocates for instance and stuff like yeah. that but you have to put more work into getting them basically and like because yeah. that's the thing it's like and we had it recently where we, we put up a job spec yeah. um for a podcast producer on no clip mm-hmm. And you really have to ask, like you have mm. to like be proactive in saying, like people will give shit and say, like, oh, you're just, you know, you're just looking to look like a good little liberal because you're asking <laughs> for for peoples of all colors and back, you know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah. like you literally have to a lot of the times because unless you're explicitly saying that that you know that the door is open. Yeah. People have been taught by society to assume that it's closed, and that's not on you. Like yeah. you don't have to be all fucking dire about it and like, <laughs> oh, I'm I'm not part of the problem. I didn't know it's, but it's just yeah. fucking help out your neighbor. You know, that's yeah. all it is. So yeah, yeah. Imagine like imagine wanting equal rights and everybody would be happy. I mean, what a fucking what an asinine thought. Eh? Like, <laughs> yeah, the idea that if you just don't believe racism exists, then it yeah. doesn't exist. You know, it's like it's, it's all well and good for us to say that. And and, yeah. and yeah, I feel the same way about like now that I'm in it. Also, like I'm still like as far in my brain, I'm still like a fucking like scrappy little boy in Ireland who's figured yeah, yeah. this all out. But the reality yeah. is, I'm also like one of the most visible people in games media. You know media right now yeah, which, yeah. which i don't recognize right. in my day-to-day when i walk around in my fucking underpants in my house and i have to do a million chores but yeah. like it is inexplicitly true so like having yeah. to like also shift your responsibility that way is is part of the process yeah and i think it's it's difficult as well with the things you cover where even me as a podcaster you know and as now as a game developer when i interview people you've got to tread a fine line of I want to talk about your experience, but I don't want to get you fired. Like, it's such a fine line. To, you know what I mean? Like, because, I mean, just on a, a, an off-cuff, like, when I started going to events early on in 2015 to, to learn about the industry, some of yeah. the first people I met and the first people who were my friends in the industry were all from CD Projekt Red, right? Right, yeah. So, because, so, like, obviously the European Connection, when we're going to... And artists. Yeah, yeah. So, like, they had, when I met a lot of the guys, like, Marek and Marcy, and, like, they had just finished The Witcher and they were coming over to talk about it in, in 2015, 2016 and uh, yeah like 
it was great at the time to know them and look at the art and think, oh, incredible. But then as the dawn was starting to set and, 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 and cyberpunk was getting more and more real, you know, having conversations with those guys, it was like, oh, okay, this is going to be interesting. And, uh, you know, retro- retroactively now looking back at the, the stuff you've done with CD Projekt Red, like, it's it's hard now, like, because I think you talked about this with 76 as well, right, where post-release now and you look at how that landscape's evolved, you sit and yeah. almost, like, cringe at, like, the documentary thinking, oh, shit, shit, oh, shit. But then it's the same with me interviewing guys back then because we interviewed Martian and Maddox when they were just finishing Witcher and I wanted to get them back on for, you know, cyberpunk, but I don't know how to approach that conversation because how would I discuss that in a way that makes it seem like a positive experience when I know generally it wasn't, right? So yeah. I mean, how do you tread that fine line now going into future projects? Have you kind of opened your eyes to the process or...? Yeah, totally. Like, you're right. Like, like we did a six-part series on CD Projekt, and we did a lot of, like, we knew we couldn't cover every facet of a company this big because there's only mm. two of us, and it was even then it might have been 350. So right. the way in which we sort of approached it was we're, we'll tell six sort of vignettes from the story. So then at least we're not trying to, like, tell a broad truth. We're, right. we're sort of telling Marcin Davinsky's tale of like setting up the company and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff right. one about like localization one about quest design one about that you know what i mean so yeah, yeah none of them were really about like the entire process and then afterwards mm-hmm. a lot of stuff like about like the amount of crunch that people were working on and right and the amount of like l- sort of entry-level folks that like felt overwhelmed and all that sort of stuff yeah um it was kind of like ah oh, fuck it would have been great to do it but also like our stuff didn't necessarily get there but like oh next time we're here like you need to basically i need to have more eyes on like the idea of getting people lower in that's probably where some of that came from it's probably part yeah. of that process is was figuring that out yeah. so the i'd love to be able to tell you i feel like we should talk again like yeah. if anything happens yeah. but i'm i've still know a bunch of the folks over there and like last year with the conversation before the game was like months and months and months and months before the game was coming out, we were already in some sort of process on like, okay, if you guys want to do something, we need to be like sort of in at this stage a little bit and like right. doing some mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and then I ended up like having a bit of input on some of that, right? In a way that I can't talk about yet, but right. we are. We basically COVID fucked everything. So yeah. but I'm hoping that in some stage in the future, hopefully not too far, but like probably you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to a studio in this year anyway. No, so no, like, no. Hopefully yeah. it's twenty twenty <laughs> I am hopeful that we will be able to do like our best work and tell as much of a, of that story as we can because because yeah. um, I know a lot actually at this mm-hmm. stage already, but it's mm-hmm. just it's it's trying to talk to the right people and and get as much of that out as possible. Because um, I think the story of what happened there is not it's not it's like there has been really good reporting, which is very accurate. Mm. But I also think that there's that you could go deeper on like yeah. process, and there's a lot of learnings from that um, yeah. that uh, that would be worth going into and uh yeah i wish i could say any more <laughs> i'm not promising anything but i do think yeah. i do think it's something that would be that is like high on our list of, of of stuff to do 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely one of those things where I have enough conversations in my head that I could sink a ship about things I know that I can't talk about. But like, it's yeah, it's, it's totally. It's, yeah. I think it's just in a couple of years' time, we'll probably maybe get one of those looking back stories and and you know what were maybe the the mistakes they made and stuff they done wrong, like the Titan documentary. Like like what was what was the failings? What did we learn? Um, but then because it's still so fresh, it's hard to. It's so raw. You can't quite. Yeah. Just, at the moment. Um, but I mean, I think. But it's funny, about, it's, yeah. and it's different for them because, like, they get because, like, that's a publicly traded company, right? Where right, also yeah. the top brass owns stock, so you're dealing with a totally different, like, you know. I don't give a fuck. I'm from like, I don't have a shy bone in my body, so I don't. I never care. Like, none of this stuff Same. intimidates me. Like, I'll talk yeah, yeah. to to the higher ups as much as I'll talk to entry level people and I'll have the same level of respect and I won't yeah. be intimidated one way or the other. But like, yeah. but I also know that like the reality you're dealing with a different level of caution. Whereas like, for instance, this week, I can't tell you unfortunately which game it was, but we were yeah. talking to a single developer who had released mm. a game fairly recently, mm. which just had like mixed response to it. And mm we really got into the weeds on all like the stuff that the review said, mm. why it was the way they were, how they mm. anticipated it, but ultimately had to make this hard call and this one and like feels weird about this part and bad about this part, but relieved about this part. So people, it just, some, some people are able to deal with the, the fallout sooner than others. And also mm. if there's fewer of them, it just makes it easier. Whereas a company yeah. like city project, that's like 800 people. The project yeah. took like seven years to make. Yeah, there's yeah. all this money involved. There's yeah. people that, like who got, who got, you know, who left the company, who got a management position that worked here. You're yeah. dealing with a lot of different like stakeholders and you just have to be aware of it. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's like we talked about the, the human element of, of games making and, and what that entailed. And, and, uh, you know, I think that's why I've tried to strive and, and interview as many people as I could on the lower end of the spectrum. I mean, like, obviously, even with the the Supergiant documentary, right, you were interviewing a lot of the guys at the top end or some of the guys who founded the company. But when I interviewed Darren Corb, I was almost wanting to interview him at one point because I saw what he was doing and I thought, I want to dive deeper into what he's really building there. And, you know, Darren's a great guy and everything that he's done for the, the soundtracks for those games is phenomenal. And, you know, as an artist, I couldn't really maybe overlap about what he was doing and try to ask him some you know questions that I thought were relevant but when we started to talk so many things just clicked were like you know production wise and process and how he brainstorms or thinks about stuff early on it was just so similar to me and you know one of the biggest things you know having some friends at Sony Santa Monica we always talked about the documentary was great the God of War documentary but oh yeah it did feel like they were missing out so much of the process that you know if you look at the original mistake right back in the day when they had done God of War 3 or whatever it was, that was quite into the weeds. They were really just opening the door to everything they were doing and they were sitting in yeah. production meetings you know, when Stig was playing through the game. And, like, you know, I felt like it was almost like the Corey show, even though he would hate me to tell that. But, like, it felt like the whole doc was just about him or the process of him building the game um, and some of the highlights. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, just, yeah. the framing device of that documentary is them yeah. having an executive dinner party. Yeah, <laughs> so, like, so, and, and it's not a criticism because I because I really like the doc. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, yeah. But but if I'm sure, I, I if it if it's not aware of the story it's telling, then the audience is certainly aware almost immediately, whether or not subconsciously or not. That basically yeah. what you were doing is talking to the cre. It's about the creative direction, and I think yes. like honestly, I think like one of the criticisms I would have of our work is that in trying to cover as much you do lose focus yes. and there's an element of no clip stuff which is 
it we're not a hundred percent filmmaking. If we were, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm very much like in love with the like Herzogian form of documentary, which is mm. that you can lie as much as you want, and he lies everywhere in his documentaries. Right. It's full yeah. of embellishments. But yeah. as long as he is he is doing that in service of a greater truth. And right. pe- some people hate that. Like when, yeah, he, when yeah. they find out that like this was set up or this was this or this quote is completely made up. He say, he does this thing where he starts his documentaries with movie with quotes from people that are completely <laughs> fabricated. Like, yeah. like it's it so in your face the lies. Yeah. But it, but but the, and that's one end of the spectrum, right? And mm. then there's the other side which is the very much Ken Burns oh, we are making the video encyclopedia of this historic moment, right? Right. And documentary exists on a plane and you have to pick where you are. And we're kind of somewhere in the middle where we're half, we're, we're trying to tell it, give an arc, but we're also like, we probably prioritize accuracy over that a lot. Yeah. That documentary was really good because what it did was it decided it was a movie. And I don't think it lies very much at all, but it decided what it was telling was a story. Yep about the creative direction of that game mm-hmm. and the business elements of it and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And in mm-hmm. that way, it's not a Ken Burns 60-hour Vietnam doc. It's an right. you know, hour and 45 or whatever it is, a tight hour and 45, yep. which tells a very particular story. But you're 100% right. It is yeah. a story about Corey and it's a, yeah. tor- it's, a sto- and it's a story about the performance artist and the acting and that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the fact, I always found it funny when I, when I, when they, when they had the framing device of them all having lunch at this uh, yeah, yeah, executive's yeah. fucking backyard. And I was like, yeah, well, yeah. We're, not, we're not talking to any texture artists on this one. See them like sitting under the table and they're throwing them scraps. Like, <laughs> Exactly, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like looking down at the table, like, so Dan, do you want to come up and tell us about this tree you made? Like, the damage the tree. Yeah. Tell me about the tree. Yeah, so it's, tell me about it's, the tree. Do you want to keep your job? Or I'll, I'll pay. I'll pay some crowd in Singapore, you yeah. know, a quarter as much to, to do the job for you. Oh, I did as a three D artist. You, you don't know how how true that rings in that that sentence, but yeah, dude, I want to uh, tell that story. We did one. We did one. We did the Command and Conquer remastered um, uh, one, and I got mm. to talk to a bunch of folks at one of those outsourcing companies mm. and then like four or five months later a huge story came out about them about working conditions and stuff like oh. that. I was like, oh. no <laughs> gosh too late too yeah, late. But, yeah there's a million the hu- one different fun stories you know it's it, all the it's human the, stuff exactly uh, uh, it's the human truth it's, i mean even people talk about the outsourcing but you know there's, there's studios in china with like 10 people who are absolutely killing it like the wukong uh trailers that have came out recently and that team you know, I think it's like 20 people and the stuff they're doing on your five is like scaring me. Like I'm trying to be, yeah. you know, in knee deep in the industry and, and, and sitting in 3D every day building stuff. And then I'm sitting looking at their models like, how the fuck are like, <laughs> with that, with like small yeah, team? Like you don't begrudge them. You know what I mean? No, like no. It's, yeah, it's, 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 it's like, if anything, it shows the solidarity that should exist between creative people, you know, where you're like, yeah, yeah totally. Like everyone's, everyone's getting squeezed. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. sometimes the, sometimes it's a tighter squeeze, or mm-hmm. where you are, you can put up with a tighter squeeze because of the way the local economics work. But like, yeah. we're all victims of the, you know, of of of, of our our class, and I, yeah. you know, certainly get doing go, going independent with no clip five years ago mm-hmm. was was solved a lot of those problems for me. Yeah. Um, but obviously, it's still a huge part of my day to day because I now hire people who are creative folks, and you need to be very aware that you were you know, treating them well because mm-hmm. they don't have the power in a lot of cases to advocate for themselves. Yeah. I mean, what was, I mean, we can kind of maybe close on that, but I mean, ultimately, what was the decision that led to you leaving GameSpot? I mean, like, I don't know if you've ever talked 
too in depth about it, or you can, but like, I've always wondered why you decided that you wanted to almost give up the secure side of your job or something that would be the paycheck or you know the thing that would keep you going to go out into the weeds on your own, right? Which was scary. I, yeah, I don't. So I think what was more scary for me was being stuck by circumstance. So there are jobs like you know my dad worked in insurance, and my mom. Uh, started later in life in in her career and sort of got to work as a teller in a bank. And those are jobs that, like, you know, you can do them until you retire. Uh, Working in the games media is like, if you know, as much as I needed an an entry strategy to try and break in, you need to figure out how to break out pretty much right away. You need to figure out what your escape vector is because there's two things. Either you, you go into management, which is the only way you're going to get paid a living wage, because, you know, games journalism does not pay well. Yeah. It doesn't pay enough to support a family. It pays yeah. well for me to go out drinking in San Francisco every Friday night, yeah. sure. But like, not, or, you know, live in a shitty flat in London and with, with mm. a couple of mates and, you know, uh, cockroaches in my room, but at least I can, <laughs> you know, go out in the piss once or twice a week. Yeah. Uh, so, but like, <coughs> it's, it's not, you can't be an adult <laughs> in, the, in those jobs. So like, yeah. So I always feel funny about that when I see people who got caught up in it because it's kind of always been that way, and I don't, I don't, I, I don't want to like, woe is me them or anything like that. Like I right. feel empathy for people, but for me, I was so terrified of being stuck, of being like in a games writing job, mm-hmm. having no expertise, having no way of getting out, mm-hmm. that I'd have to like scrape myself a higher wage or or, or change industries, right? Right. So that's why I put a lot of effort while I was working into building an audience because I knew the only power you have if you work in games press seeing people like what happened to Jeff Gersman and what Greg Miller was having over at IGN like and what was happening on YouTube at the time with like people like Total Biscuit or or I guess later on Twitch that like if you have an audience that's your that's your leverage right like if you make shit that people care about so I in earnest just tried to make stuff that people care about and then Mm -hmm. Basically, at the time, I was kind of like, I was coming up on two and a half years. I, my visa situation was changing. So before right. I was tied to working at that company, I had no, and then suddenly I had a green card and I was able to do what I wanted. Right. So I just approached them and was like, I asked for a sum of money that was a lot. Right. I asked for a lot of responsibility to manage basically a whole chunk of their video stuff, mm-hmm. which I felt like I was more than qualified to do. And yep. I left it in their hands and they came back with an offer that was like, like just under the money in a way that really pissed me off. And, <laughs> and, uh, and the job was like some hackneyed thing where I'd have to work with a bunch of people who the whole point of me asking was so I wouldn't have to basically work on the, uh, these people anymore. So, yeah, yeah. and I was like, oh, I'd have to still, nah, I'm done. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. So I was fine. It was, it was a very easy decision. And I already had an idea and a business plan for Noclip and it was right. scalable. If, if we got like a quarter of the patrons that I was hoping for or that, right. that we ended up getting, it would have been mm-hmm. fine if we got half, if we got, and then, you know, that day just changed my life. You know, September 12th, 2016, when we launched, mm-hmm. I was expecting this much. And then yeah. we got, four times as much and i was like oh well i'll never work for anyone else again unless this whole thing falls apart so yeah to me to me it was more scary to not you know in the same way for you probably it was more scary you had a established gig sounds like it was Mm -hmm. probably pretty safe you know Mm -hmm. it's pretty resilient industry Mm -hmm. um but it was scarier for you to be stuck in that job it sounds like than to go through 
a much harder process for you. All I had to do was try. I remember talking to Gerstmann about it and saying, like, what happens if this all fucking blows up in my face? And he was like, you'll get your job back. Like, yeah. what's the worst thing that can happen? Go work for IGN. Like, you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's fine. Whereas yeah. you, you know, going back to school, trying a whole different industry, that's fucking brave. Yeah, I mean, well, thank you for that. Um, but, like, yeah, I mean, when I left, I was still relatively young and, and, and people would say stuff like, you know, First of all, you'll never get any university, so I don't know why you're bother trying because you're not, you know, a qualified artist. So I was like, all right, go. Cool. Fucking hell. Uh, uh, secondly, with stuff like, like, oh, you know, you'll never say it. Say, say how you mean it. Yeah, don't sugarcoat yeah. it. Yeah, but uh, but stuff like you know, you you'll never get to work in a video game, Gordon. Don't be daft, and um, you know, and you'll never get, you'll never earn real money doing this, right? And you know, I've done right. all of those things. Like, I graduated with honors from university. I'm one of the first people in my family to go to university and get a degree. So Congrats. Been a few That's things awesome. for me. Uh, I've run the podcast for five years, you know, I interned at Axis in Glasgow, where at the time we were working on League of Legends and Destiny 2, um, and then obviously I've had my game and my name in several game credits, and now I'm working That's with terrific. That's cool. guys, guys at the moment who are Extreme Works, Disney and ILM, who are building this new company. Um, we're making an NFT board game, basically, um, where right. you buy the, the cards through NFTs and then the game facilitates those cards into the game. So I, I hear uh, Steam isn't going to allow that stuff. Uh, oh that's yeah, today. yeah. We, we've got a, a separate strategy for that, but, uh, but yeah. So I'm basically the, the 3D artist, the prop artist on that team. But but yeah, like you know, everything that people said would never happen happened. So it's a thing where people will want to say you can't do things because they can never envision it. But like I just yeah never or, give or up. Or it exposes something in them. I never, I never, I try not to take it personally because to me it's hmm. kind of like, and I remember being that person a bit as well with other folks where. Hmm. If you see somebody try something that seems really difficult and then they they pull it off or they pull it off even a little bit, right. like it it is difficult sometimes, whether consciously or not, to have mm -hmm. that reflect on you and be like, well, why aren't I trying the dangerous things in my life, right? So, right. like, I don't, uh, yeah, I'm right there with you. It's 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 certain. It's easier to feel this way right. in hindsight, but it also does kind of give you this air of grace where like. <laughs> Oh, they didn't like. They're victims of of their own situation, really. They're yeah, victims yeah. of themselves in the same mm -hmm. way that I am, probably in lots of other different ways, you know. Yeah, um, I think I think it's just thrown caution to the wind and saying "fuck the hairs." That's the, that's the, the ultimate thing you can do, really. And I mean, like, one of my spite is a very uh, uh, efficient motivator. I will yeah, say, yeah. like, I was yeah. very motivated by people saying I wouldn't be able to, never or like it, job yeah. opportunities that didn't happen, or or people yeah. not giving me what I think is fair compensation for my work. Like, yeah. there was a lot of like, I'll fucking show you, but uh, yeah, at, yeah. At this. At this stage, I'm I'm in the, I'm in the very privileged position of having nothing to prove to anyone, so yeah, I just yeah, don't yeah. give a shit. But then you've worked anymore. super hard for it, like you've worked hard to get there. And I mean, like one of the the biggest inspirations for me as well is, is seeing my other friends succeed. But then I remember very actively because I was in games media early on in, in my career, and I was doing it very amateurly. I was never super professional with it, but I was I followed Alana Pierce for many years. Right, yeah, yeah. Right, and Alana's went from degree journalist to work in IGN, Funhouse, and now she's a paid writer on the Santa Monica yeah. team. I mean, talk, talk about someone who, who, who fucking figured out a career path. Like Jesus, Alana's yeah. not, you know, she's, she doesn't suffer fools. She, she, no. she knows, I know what that, maybe that sounds a little bit like I'm saying that she's like strategic or something. It's not no, no. like, but yeah, yeah. It's, it, she has a lot of talent, but she also is very good at like, if she sees something that she wants to do getting there. And that's, yep. that's, no easy task you know what i mean yeah, yeah. um 
But but the thing that kills me actually is all the people because now I'm like what thirty five and I've had I've been in this career now longer than I had been in any other career prior to it. And right. the thing that really that I hate is all the people who I worked with along the way who were really good, but just didn't have it like maybe a personality that was or or a I'm not even sure if it's drive or just whatever it was, an aspect of who they are wasn't right. compatible with the the sort of fucking framework of business and personality that you yep. need in, in a field, right? The yep. quiet geniuses. And like, there's so many of them. And I have friends of mine who were like infinitely better writers than me and presenters than me and folks that were, you know, terrific in other ways. And right. they didn't break into this industry or they they had to fall out of it and some of them have actually been way more successful in different fields where that like right. worked better for them yeah. and some of them are you know maybe are still trying to figure it out and it's those people who i really like wish that i owned a multi-billion dollar conglomerate you so could I hire could everybody hire yeah. everybody and just give them whatever they wanted and let them do whatever they want because like yeah there's so many talented people out there who for one re- reason or another medical it could be circumstance cash mm-hmm. access to capital like yep. you grow up you grow up without any money you can it's all you see is the people who had the leg up at the at the start and skipped a bunch of wrongs yep. right it's yeah it's that type of thing so yeah, it's difficult I, I do it, feel it, it's, it, it's just it's hard now going back and giving talks at universities and and trying not to terrify students like and talk about you know like i'm like you know, it's took me eight years. I mean, five of those was in education, obviously, but like there was even two years post university where I was living off nothing. I had no money, right. you know, and I was freelancing. I was doing stuff for free. I was trying to get every gig, and the podcast was just my way of just keeping myself sane and doing something. And uh, now it's got a great following, and, and you know, there's like right. there's people who email me who are like, "Dude, like I'm leaving my job because of you, and I'm going to be an artist, and I'm, I'm like, and you know, reading the email with tears running down my face, I'm like, Jesus Christ!" But uh, well, remember, right mm-hmm. now, now that you've done it, this is the mm-hmm. other part with hindsight. Now that you've done it, and you look back, you're like, "Fuck, that was hard." But yeah. think about you when you were at the start of that journey. You'd like nothing left to lose. It's just like, it's yeah. it it like you. you the younger you are, I feel like the more fearless you are. And I remember, I, I, I totally agree with what you're saying that like, it is difficult to say that to people, but also like, I remember I did a talk of my university right before COVID. And mm-hmm. I remember like, think looking at these people and being like, Oh, they don't, they, they're not, all they see is opportunity. They're, yeah. they're not worried about the barriers on the way. They're, all they see yeah. is the top of the mountain and they know they can get there. Yeah, and yeah. sure it'll be difficult, but all they mm-hmm. can see is the top and they can't wait to be there. So yeah. like, you know, that's the other part of of, of a creative life is that <laughs> fucking tiring. Sometimes it's easier to look forward than to look back. Yeah, but then it's, it's good to look back and see, who you, you know, how far you've came. You know, it's yeah, it's humbling. It definitely is. But, uh, but anyway, that's so the get, imposter syndrome. I'll, 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 I'll end it there, Danny, because I, I know you're I'm conscious of your time and I'm wanting you to get back to the many things I'm sure you're doing right now, building docs and, and try to keep yourself yeah. afloat. It's... Ed, ed, editing, at the moment I'm colour grading and editing footage of me um, dressed up as a knight in the woods for our Chivalry 2 documentary, so oh, hopefully that nice. won't be out too too long, but yeah. Yeah, that'll, uh... be, that'll be a fun doc, yeah. Um, so yeah if you guys have listened to this point thanks uh, for sticking around Um, I hope you guys have enjoyed me speaking to Danny I mean what you have you know jump in in the comments below and and throw us a like Um, it's always appreciated we're on 
most podcast services at the moment and uh, yeah if you've got any suggestions for future guests or anything that you want to hear me cover then of course yeah uh, strike out and let us know and uh, yeah that's about it just a thanks go out to you guys for listening for Danny for giving up his time I mean I hope you absolute enjoyed absolute pleasure thanks yeah. so much man grand and uh, yeah we'll see you guys in the next episode uh, thanks guys bye terrific 